The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. So, if you have not been with us before, this is your first time, here's what we do as a church. We just walk through the Bible verse by verse. And we've been doing that through the Gospel of John now for a very long time. And today, as we continue through the Gospel of John, we're going to look at eight verses that again remind us, for those who have been here for the past few weeks, that love is the defining characteristic of a Christian, of one who claims to follow Jesus. Love is it. In chapter 13, Jesus says, love is how others will know that you are my followers. That's how you're going to be identified, is by the way that you love. In 1 John chapter 4, it goes as far as to say that if you do not love your brother and sister, then you cannot love God. Love is the key. It is the focal point. It is the foundation upon which everything we believe is based on. It's huge. Jesus cannot overemphasize it enough, the need for love. And here in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17, what Jesus is going to say is that if you're connected to me, as I am the vine and you are the branches, if you abide in me, if you're united in me, if you, can, if you stay with me, then you are going to love like me. And Jesus, thankfully, is going to tell us what that love looks like. It's going to give us two characteristics of that love and then tell us some beautiful, beautiful rewards that actually come from living out that love. Let's jump in. John 15 verses 9 and 10 are where we will begin. As the Father has loved me. So this is Jesus speaking. So as God the Father has loved me, he's shown me how to love. We know that to be true. That's how I have loved you. There's a progression. God the Father has loved me in such a way that now I am loving you in that way. Now remain in my love. Okay, we're we're called to abide or remain in Jesus. Now he's saying remain in my love. How do you do this? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So obedience to God's commands are one of two ways in which we remain in God's love. So if God loved Jesus in this way and Jesus loved God by obeying his commands, that is one of the characteristics of the love that Jesus has for us, and we are then to show to others obedience to God, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So the first characteristic, if Jesus is the example of how we are to love, if he does it perfectly, he's our model, he's the type, he's the one we're looking at, if he's obeying the Father, we need to do that, what does that mean? It means, I think, we must obey God's commands implicitly. And you go, that's tough, Todd, because I mess up. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm not flawless. I I want to obey God, but there's things I don't follow. And and by the way, aren't there like hundreds of commands? Uh, Yes. But there's one that trumps them all. There's one that kind of envelops them all. And that is the command that Jesus gives to his followers. It says, love God and love others. That's all the commands kind of rolled into one. So we do not have to perfectly love, just because Jesus did. But we cannot be negligent, church. We can't just intentionally ignore some of the key things that are tied into loving others, such as forgiving people that hurt us or wrong us, sacrificing for others, putting others' needs ahead of our own. We can't just ignore the fact that when someone is hurting, we are called to help. We can't just ignore the command that God has given us to love others, the command that he's shown us in Jesus loving and obeying him. We cannot just ignore these commands. The first characteristic of Jesus' love for us is his obedience to the Father, an obedience that will take him 
to a cross, even when he prays right before, Father, if there's any other way, let me know. Not my will, yours be done. It's that kind of love, that kind of obedience that drives us. Now, when I look at marriage, okay, when I look at marriage, when I look at obedience to God the Father in marriage, to, to faithfulness, to sacrifice, to encouragement, to patience, to all of these things that Jesus speaks about, specifically in Ephesians chapter 5, as, as to how to be married. He concludes in Ephesians chapter 5 that if you get marriage right, it's actually a picture of how Jesus loves the church. And that's insanely awesome and terrifying to me at the same time. That it is possible for me to love my wife in such a way as to reflect the love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. It's possible. If I'm patient, if I'm caring, if I'm forgiving, if I'm sacrificial, if I'm loving, it's possible. I can literally represent that. Think about the church for a second. The church is to love one another as a representation of how God loves the Son, Jesus. The church is supposed to love one another. That's why when there's infighting within a church, it's so damaging. Two people, three people, a hundred people on each side that are supposed to love one another because their Savior loves them equally start to hate one another. Why? Because someone got their feelings hurt. They got to go another way. Now, let me, let me just be very clear. There have been people that have left Summit because they got their feelings hurt and they left, and sometimes that's our fault. But Summit as a church, we've been able to avoid huge problems. It's probably because of the leader, but more than likely. It's because at the end of the day, we remember who this is for. It's not for us, it's not for my name, it's not for your sake or your comfort, it's for God's glory. If people will remember that as a command, then loving others will be more natural. When you start to think it's about you and about your wants and your desires and my wants and my desires, then it gets really ugly really quick. But we're a picture, church. We're a picture of how Jesus loves his bride the first characteristic of love is obedience to God the Father. The second characteristic we'll find in verse 13. So skip down to 13 real quick. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. There is no greater love than this, than to lay down your life for your friends. The second characteristic of Christ's love is his willingness to give his own life for us. And we are then called, as imitators of Christ, to be willing to do the same. And I think there's some of us more cavalier in the room that we're just like, absolutely. I'm definitely willing to lay my life down if that's what it takes for my family, for my love of God. I'll do it. And we can be that bold because in the back of our minds, we know how unlikely that is. But it's easy to say, I'll do it. And as a father and as a husband, the term over my dead body becomes a very real thing. Like there, there are certain things that like you would not be able to harm my child if I knew you were trying to do so without me first being dead. And, and that's not cavalier because I'm probably a Pillsbury Doughboy that you could kill easily. But I, you would have to, I would not be breathing anymore. If you're going after my kids, it's going to be me out of the fight. That's just, that's just the way it is. And that's, that, I think that's most parents. I think that's most husbands. That's, most, it's, that's just what it is. And we read verses like 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 
We read these verses and they become bumper sticker verses. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What's interesting is like oftentimes when we read the Bible, we forget to read the next verse, the context verse. In my opinion, the more important verse. You want to read verse 17 real quick? This is actually the harder verse. If anyone has material possessions, if you have something, and see a brother or sister in need, you have something, they need something, and you have no pity on them, not just you feel bad, you actually do something about it, how can the love of God be in that person? So yes, there is implied in verse 16 the willingness to lay down one's life for someone. I'm going to propose that it is actually easier to die for someone than it is to live for them. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there that it is easier to end it than it is to live for someone, to give sacrificially to that person, to see needs, put my needs aside and go meet those needs. And both are implied here, and both are part of how Jesus loves us. He didn't just die for us. Yes, that's awesome, and we, and we celebrate that, and we focus on that, but it's more than that. He then today meets our every need. He loves sacrificially. Laying down one's life to love a brother or sister involves many things that the Bible speaks about. Here's just a few of them. You could make a list a lot longer than this. But to love sacrificially, to love as Jesus loves, would require visiting the widows, visiting the people who have been shut in, because of health or for whatever reason, just because, just because they're shut in. Adopting the orphan, why? Because that's what your purpose is? No, because they don't have anyone else, because there's a need, and you're called to have pity on that need. Adopting the orphan, don't get worried, I'm I'm not looking to go to any other churches, but there's there's like a website that I go to a lot that has church listings, like job, preacher jobs, and I go to it and I look just for fun, but not, I'm not leaving. So um, in, in, this, in these job listings, they'll always list the requirements, okay? I mean, you know, it's like, you've got to be a godly person, you've got to be able to preach. Every once in a while, church will list that you need to do, like, nursing home visits, hospital visits, you've got to go visit, you know, former members, pre- like, be in living rooms, and, and they'll list that. And now, it's kind of comical because when they list that, usually you can tell then it's an older congregation of people who want their shepherd to make sure that even though they can't come to church anymore, the shepherd's still coming and visiting them and there'll be someone there to care for them in the nursing home. And I don't think that's comical because I think it's a bad idea. I think it's comical because that is the responsibility of every person in the church. That's, that's, that's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to love. If there's someone in need, if there's someone who's cut off from the body, we're supposed to go meet that need and, and be with them. We're supposed to go visit the widow. We're supposed to adopt the orphan. We're supposed to show hospitality. There's people in the room who are known for their amazing hospitality. Okay, you open up your doors, people come in, they just feel welcome in your home. It always smells like cookies, and like, it's just, you, you have the best parties, and everyone wants to be at your house for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and, and it's, you are the hospitality person. But you know what's interesting about biblical hospitality? It has literally nothing to do with throwing a good party. It has literally nothing to do with making sure Christmas is awesome. Biblical hospitality means if you've got a home, and someone else don't got a home, you let them come stay in your home. 
That's what biblical hospitality is. And you're like, well, that's dangerous. And that's meeting needs. Feeding the hungry because they're hungry and you have food. Clothing the naked because they're naked and you have clothes. You're going, well, that, I, <laughs> Todd, good, good thing you got there. I love just like Jesus because I have served twice in the last two years at Food and Shelter. I literally served about 62 people lunch. It was awesome. Uh, I have donated all of my old clothes I don't wear anymore to Goodwill, where they then resell them. But then I realized, nope, I'm going to go to a ministry, and there's food, and, and I am doing my part. And I would say, absolutely, you're doing part of your part. But just to love the way Jesus loves, it would require us to literally see the need and meet it. Not necessarily through partnering with organizations. Not, nothing wrong with that. We as, churches, we as a church partner with organizations that do it better than we do it. But just understand the heart behind it. Lastly, to, to lay one's life down, to, to love like Jesus loves, would require us to pay bills for people when there's no way that those bills are ever going to be repaid to us. You can't pay this. I can. I pay it for you. No questions asked. I think a lot of times we see that, and, and at least for me, this is just my brokenness. A lot of times I see that, I'm like, get a job, dude. I got a job. I, my wife's got a job. We don't work, so you can not work. Get a job. Uh, I'm not sure that that's exactly how Christ loves us. And in fact, I'm positive it's not. There's some people that are really, really good at this. There's some, there's some people in our church that get this. You are phenomenally anointed at seeing needs and meeting needs. I'm married to one of those people. My wife, Paige, is one of these people. Before we were even dating, before we were dating, I was a junior high youth pastor, and she was not a junior high student. She was a college student that was serving in the, in the ministry. So she was a leader, and I was the junior high pastor. And before we would have our Wednesday night gatherings, the leaders would pray together, and we would offer up prayer requests. And one time, one of the leaders said, if I don't get $400 this week, I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment. And, like, we prayed about that. And in the back of my mind, like, I'm the pastor. I'm going, I could probably, you know, ask the church for some money. I could probably make more money than all these other college students. I could probably pay this. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, get a job. Like, you're a big girl. You know, 400 bucks is not that much money. Figure it out. That, that, was, that was my heart. This girl comes back next week, and she's, like, celebrating. She goes, the craziest thing happened Tuesday. Went out to my mailbox, and I opened the mailbox, and there was this envelope unmarked $400 in it, and I got to pay my rent. I'm going to stay in my apartment. It's incredible. And I was just, in the back of my head, I looked over, and I see Paige sitting over there. Once again, we're not dating or anything yet, and I see her. So I pull her over after we're done. I'm like, you paid, you, you gave her that money, didn't you? No. She's like, yeah, you did. I know you did. You, you, why? Why'd you do it? Because I had it, and she needed it. Then I put a ring on that, and that, and, <laughs> and the rest is history. Paige just gets it so much more than I do. She, whether she understands the love that God has for her more, whether, I don't know, she just, she gets it more. But there's these two characteristics that are going to exemplify Christ's love, and if we're supposed to imitate him, it's obedience to God the Father, and it's laying down one's life. And laying down one's life is absolutely going to come at a price, a large price. There's a huge cost. It's going to cost you everything, honestly. But there's also a great reward. 
And what I love about this passage is that oftentimes what God calls us to do, he says, the reward is me. The reward is me. You get me in the end. You get to spend eternity with me. I'm the reward. But in this particular case, Jesus is going to tell us that if we are to love, if we obey God's commands and lay down our life for one another, if we do so, the reward is immediate and it's threefold. Very seldom in Scripture do you have this. We're like, you do this, and you're going to get these three things in return. You do these two things, these three things are coming. Here they are, verses 11 through 17. John 15. If it's underlined up there, it's one of the rewards, okay? So, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. First reward. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. We've already read that. Verse 14, reward number two. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you're obedient, you are my friends. So the reward is friendship if you obey my commands. Verse 15 will explain it. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Servants don't know their master's business. You're no longer my servants, you're my friends. So I'm going to tell you everything I know. I'll tell you everything the father has taught me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. We talked about that last week. Fruit that will last. And so, third reward, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Make note, verse 12 and verse 6, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 17, two times the same command. Love one another. Love one another. If you do so, there are some rewards here for you. So, what does it mean to love? It means to obey implicitly God's commands and to lay one's life down for others. If you do that, then there are these three rewards. Let's break those three rewards down one at a time. When we obey God's commands and lay down our lives, our joy will be complete. That's verse 11. Our joy will be complete. That is a first reward. Now, the cost, again, to love is immense. It will cost you your whole life, but the reward is worth it. Why? Because we all seek this joy. We're hardwired for this joy. And unfortunately, a lot of people in this world are walking around in a joyless haze, trying to find joy in many different things. Their job, their relationships, their finances, their hobbies, their physical fitness. They're trying to find joy in sin. They're trying to find joy in all these things. And the reason they keep looking for joy in these things is because temporarily you can find joy in these things. Your job can bring you joy. Your family and relationships can bring you joy. Your hobbies can bring you joy. Being ripped can bring you joy. All these things can bring you joy temporarily. But this complete joy is a reward for doing what? Loving as Jesus loved. And for many of us, we lack that joy. Now, the reason we lack this complete joy is because the cost to have it is huge. But... The reward is amazing. You have to trust and believe that the reward will come as a result of your obedience and your laying down of one's life. But I can actually prove this to you, not just because it says it in the Bible. I can prove it to you because I've seen it every single time. Work out this way. When you meet someone at the airport after they get back from a 10-day mission trip in a third world country, when they get off the plane, here's the guarantees. They are going to be exhausted they're going to be dirty, they're going to smell, and they are going to have lost some weight, okay? Those are guaranteed things. Along with the stench, the diarrhea, 
along with the exhaustion and that you will also see from somewhere deep within them complete and total joy. Why? Because that person has just spent the last 10 days doing these two things perfectly. Obeying the commands of God to go love others, to hold babies who are orphans, to love widows, to dig wells so people can live, to meet needs. They have done that completely. And when they come back, having done that, having laid down their own life, their joy is complete. And in fact, it's so real that one of the greatest hindrances to someone returning to America is they feel this joy and they want to keep that high. They want to keep that joy, and they look around, they don't know how to do it, so then they get mad. Why are we not doing this? Why, why is the church not doing this more? Why, why are we not holding babies all the time, and why are we not dirty all the time? But they want that joy. Every one of them has it when they come back. So you ask, well, then what do we do? Do we all just pack it up, sell it all, go and live in Uganda? Is that what we do? I can't answer that because, honestly, the answer is like, yes, kind of. Unless you can look at me today and say, I love in such a way that my joy is complete right here. And some of you do. Some of you can't. And hallelujah, because we can't all just leave. But if you're sitting here going, I, I, I want that joy so badly, but I don't feel it at all. And all these other things are temporary. And how do I get it? You need to look at how you're loving others. You need to look and ask yourself very honestly, am I being obedient to God? Am I loving the way he's called me to love? Am I laying my life down for others? Because in doing so, then the reward is this joy that Jesus speaks of. And to fail to do it would be to diminish that joy. The first reward is complete joy. The second reward when we obey God's commands and lay down our lives is we become friends of Jesus. Friends of Jesus. I have a friend in God. He calls me friend. Not mindless followers, not religious zealots, not legalistic monks, not distant relatives that kind of have a kinship, but we don't really talk, but friends, legitimately friends of Jesus. This concept is a little bit difficult to grasp, because when we think about Jesus as my friend, we start to think of like, Jesus as my buddy, And as much as we want Jesus to be my little buddy that comes around and just, just does life, and I teach him everything I know, and he's there, and my best friend, he never leaves me, and he never talks back. And as much as we want Jesus to be that, even the most crazy of us don't really want that relationship with Jesus. We want him to be God. We want him to be bigger than that. And what Jesus is offering here is not to be my buddy, <laughs> He's offering to be my friend. And friendship means intimacy. Think about the characteristics that make a good friend. This is, this is a list I made in about 10 seconds. These are just characteristics that I think make a good friend. A good friend knows you. Knows you and you know them. There's disclosure, there's transparency there. A good friend is present and attentive. Okay, you can't be a good friend and never be around. Good friend listens and responds. Doesn't just do what he thinks you need or what a, it listens and responds. A good friend will always stand up for you. 
A good friend will literally give you the shirt off their back. I've been blessed in my life to have a few good friends. You'd have to ask them if they think that I'm a good friend back, but I've had a few, few good friends that I've known and they know me, that we're present and attentive, that we listen and respond, that I know no matter what, they've got my back. And if I didn't have a shirt, they would give me theirs to make sure I had one. I've had just a few of those friends. But because I've tasted it, now to hear that I can have that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus, it sounds awesome. But it also kind of stinks because I look at my relationship with Jesus, and while I love my Lord and Savior, and while I feel like he knows me, because of my own disobedience and my own laziness to lay my life down, I don't know as much as I can about him. I'm not as attentive to him as I can. I'm not present as much as I can be. None of this is because he fails to be a friend. It's because I fail to press into him with that kind of intimacy. But Jesus is saying, if you love, if you love like I love, then here's one of this beautiful reward. I'm going to not call you a servant anymore. I'm going to call you my friend. That's awesome. And I want that. Third reward, when we obey God's commands and lay down our lives, we can ask anything in his name and the Father will give it to us. That's verse 16. We need to acknowledge that this is the third time now in what would be a few minutes of Jesus speaking. So it's taken us weeks to cover these verses, but in just a few minutes of Jesus speaking, he has now repeated this three times. If you want to mark them, it's chapter 14, verse 14. Chapter 15, verse 7, we saw that last week, and then today in 15, verse 6. So in a few minutes, Jesus has said three times, do these things, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So the third reward, which we've covered before, so I'll go over it very quickly, is a power of prayer. Love others, obey my Father's commands, and love others well, lay your life down, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. The power of prayer is a fabulous reward for obedience and for laying down one's life. However, if you are struggling to see the power of prayer in your life, then I do not want you for one minute to think that it is God who is failing you on that accord. It is not like God's up there going, you know what? That Todd keeps coming up with these prayer requests that I just can't handle. (laughs) Like, he's asking me to do this stuff, and I just can't figure out how to do it. Like, he is, man, he's a stinker. If you're failing to see the power of prayer in your life, I will go back to the second reward and say there is probably a lack of intimacy due to a lack of obedience and a lack of loving others well. There's probably a lack of intimacy which has caused you to either stop praying or to pray really generic prayers that don't get you too much into God's mix. Or, due to disobedience and a lack of loving, God is looking at you going, I can do everything you're asking, but it would not be wise for me to do that right now because your heart is not mine. And when we ask God to move on our behalf, yet our hearts are divided by idols or whatever else, he looks at us and goes, I can do that, I want to do that, I may even still do that because I'm God, but here's what I care about the most, that's your heart, and so let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about the way you love. Let's talk about your obedience. As we wrap up today, To love as Jesus loved, simply. I I know you're like, there's got to be more than this, but I think Jesus is clear in saying it. To love as Jesus loved means obeying God's commands, specifically his command to love others, 
means laying down our life for our brothers and sisters. That includes visiting widows, adopting orphans, hospitality, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, paying for other people's stuff when you, don't know, you, when you know you're not going to get it back. That's all part of it. In doing that, you will unlock these three beautiful rewards, all of which we desperately want and desire today. So I ask you, as the band comes back up here, how are you doing at loving others? How are you doing at it? How are you doing at laying down your life? If you're like, I'm killing it, then you're going to be basking in these three rewards. If you're finding that these three rewards are distant to you, that joy, you're like, I don't got that, that intimacy with Jesus, I don't have that, answering prayer, I don't have that, then I need you to look at the way that you're loving others and obeying God's commands. And then I want you to answer a second question. If, if you're lacking some of this reward, then where do you need to work? Not that you work to gain God's reward, but you do the work of loving and obeying so that in God's grace, he will bless us with these rewards. Where do you need to work on loving others? Who do you need to work at loving better? How do you need God to minister to your heart to cause you to be more generous, to give you his eyes so you can see need and actually do something about it? Because church, if we got this, the world would look a lot different. If we as the church did this, no one would be hungry, no one would be naked, no child would be left unadopted, no widow would be alone, no bills would go unpaid, and you're like, Todd, that is utopian junk, man. Like, of course you can say that, but that's just not the way it works. There's too much bureaucracy there's too much red tape. It's too difficult. And I agree, but shouldn't we try? Shouldn't we just do our part and see if we can't affect the peace of the world that we live in? Don't let the whole stop you from impacting the part that you've got. Love well, church. Our love can literally combat the hate that our country is talking about nonstop right now. We can impact that. But you've got to be obedient, and you've got to lay your life down. And how cool is it that if you do, then these rewards are just bonuses. Our pastors and our prayer team are going to be up here just like normal. We're going to respond. And probably the way you need to respond today is, is through prayer, but like praying that, God, I, I need to work in this area. Let's, let's talk about that. God, I need to pray for this person. They're very difficult to love. God, I need to pray for this so that your power will move. That, that's prayer. We have communion set up in the back. Back corners, we've got two stations for communion. Um, since it's the love that Jesus has for us that is our model, that is our reminder of how much Jesus loved us, that he broke his body and shed his blood for us. So that this would be a great week to go as a family, as an individual, take communion to remember that love. Well, let's respond. And most importantly today, this is not one of those messages that you respond to in the next 15 minutes and then go to lunch and forget. This is what I call a go and do message. You're, the response begins when you leave. When you leave here and decide whether or not you're going to obey his commands to love others and whether or not you're going to lay your life down. So this is a go and do. Go and love well, church. Might just change the world. 
and we're sure going to bring honor and glory to God. Father, help us respond to you. Help us to love others the way you've loved us. Help us to be and remain in your love. Let the world see us for who we are. We are yours by the way we love them. Now help us respond to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's respond to him.